0: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
1: You're listening to Living Better in San Diego. I'm Vicki Pepper. College application season is in full swing, but is college even still necessary to find a job? On the line to discuss are Kate Colbert and Dr. Joe Saluzio, authors of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education. Thank you for joining me. Thank you Thanks for having us. It. So, Kate and Dr. Joe, is college still worth it to land the job you want? Hey, this
2: is Joe. I think it is, Pepper. You know, I think there's a lot of talk out there about whether college has value. You know, is the skill economy more important than getting a college degree? But everything has a cycle. And although that may be that there are questions about the college degree, there's one thing that I do know, and that is a well-rounded education has value for a very long time. So I really encourage people when I talk to them, you know, go the right way. You don't have to go to the elite university that's going to set you back into debt from now until eternity. Look at local community colleges. Transfer your credit. Find places that are going to reward you for credit that you've already earned. And there's a way to do it without putting yourself in debt, and that makes it more attractive.
3: Absolutely. And I I would build on that by just saying, you know, I think that there are a lot of options today. And sometimes when we use the word college, going to college, that can mean a lot of different things. So it doesn't necessarily mean getting a four-year degree in history. That might mean, you know, studying something really practical, whether it's engineering or cybersecurity. It might mean working on a degree that takes two years. It might mean getting a credential that's not a degree at all. So it might be getting a welding certificate or finishing a certificate program that teaches you, um, you know, how to be a Salesforce administrator. There are a lot of ways find an educational path that leads directly to the job or career opportunities that you're looking for. So there are hard skills and soft skills available in post-secondary education, and there's just a lot to be offered for all of us at any age after high school.
1: What are some leadership lessons we may have learned in college but forgot, and how do we apply them now? Oh gosh, this is a topic I love. I happen to be an entrepreneur, and so I always love talking about leadership. So
3: I would say there's probably five big leadership lessons that anyone who's gone to college for any period of time or even did a lot of good sort of group work and whatnot in high school, leadership lessons that you learned and may have forgot that you learned that you can apply now at work. I would say that first lesson is around negotiation. So whether you were negotiating with your faculty members about an extension on a paper, or trying to get them to change a grade, or working, you know, with a classmate to revise, or you know, a project, or maybe you were asking, can I get into this class even though it's already started, and you're asking the, the you know, the the registrar, can you let me in? Negotiation is an art that we learn through formal education, whether we realize we're doing it or not. And negotiation should be win-win. When they win, you win. It's not about a fight. It's not about hostility. I would say a second big leadership lesson that we all learn when we go through something like a college experience is around collaboration. So those group projects, right? And sometimes we get frustrated, right? Like we're working with somebody in a group or a partner and it's not always 50-50, the effort, right? Sometimes it's 40-60 or sometimes it's 10-90, right? And you feel like, gosh, I'm doing all of the work. But when we Practice collaborating, and there are so many opportunities to do that in a formal college educational experience. We learn then how to do that on teams in the workplace. We know how to bring our own skills, but not get so caught up in our own expertise or our own stuff without looking around the room and saying, how does what I contribute to this matter for them, for their stuff? So collaboration, I think, is a big second key thing we learned um, that we can apply at work. I would say number three is connection. So I always say, you know, always befriend the new kid, right? And this is a lesson we can learn in K-12 school and also from college. And in college, maybe you're in a cohort where there's a group of you who are all working on a graduate degree together or an undergrad degree together. Don't always work with the same one to three people on every single project, even if you're allowed to, or go to the same people for every study session. You know, there are so many people that you can learn from and, you know, so many people who you have the opportunity to better lead in the future and more productively follow. So when you get in the workplace, if you have the experience of connecting with lots of different kinds of people, that's going to really help you customize the way you communicate to different people's styles. So that I think is really key. I would say, you know, connecting and collaborating really all comes down to can you delegate as well? So so I think we all know that sometimes you hog the work and then you burn yourself out. And so these are really important lessons. I would say don't bite off more than you chew is a huge lesson from college. You know, whether you double majored or maybe you're choosing to work multiple jobs and go to school all the time, or you're one of those overachievers who takes course credit overloads and goes into a lot of student debt, which Joe just talked about. I think one of the most important lessons that I hope people learn in college, and I hope you learned if if you've already gone, is to chill out and be a little choosy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So don't bite off more than you can chew. Chewing slowly is more delicious anyways. So we see this in the workplace, too. We all tend to show off our busyness. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I've got so much going on. That leads to burnout. So I would say, enjoy the ride. If you enjoyed the ride in college, try to figure out how to do that in your career as well. And I would end with saying the last big lesson that we've learned in college that we can use in the workplace is really understanding that doing something that's interesting and fun, that interesting factor kind of fades over time, but practical is forever. And what I mean by that is that you probably had teachers that you loved, but when you look back on them, their teaching didn't stick like you don't remember anything you learned from them today it's really about what did they teach you what competencies and skills what can you do as a result of your learning because in your career especially as a leader it's still important to demonstrate your abilities and your expertise to roll up your sleeves With your employees, pitch in, do the work, show people that you are capable of leading because you also know how to do. And that's a huge lesson, I think, that we learn in college.
1: Speaking of working with different people, what is missing in DEI in higher education and how does that translate over to DEI issues in the workforce?
3: Oh, gosh. I'll say just a tiny bit about this and Joe may want to jump in on this as well. But, you know, I would say that a lot of times when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're thinking about the obvious in terms of Do we have different kinds of people represented in our organizations at college or at work? And do we find ways to include them? But what I think is missing and what we heard a lot when we interviewed over a hundred college and university presidents for our book commencement was we heard a lot of presidents talking about belongingness. And that was really interesting to hear us talk about. It's not just about access. It's not just about letting somebody into a college or letting or hiring somebody into a company. And it's not just about when you're, choosing a college or choosing a place to work, it's not just that there's somebody who looks or sounds like you in the college ad or video or the workplace brochure, but it's you're asking yourself that question, will I fit in? And when it comes to colleges or workplace, can the admissions or human resources people prove it? So once you're there, will you be supported? So a great example of that is that it's not enough and it is not okay, in my opinion, to welcome working adults into a college experience and then not staff the tutoring center for evenings or weekends when working busy adults are available to do that work. We can't set up non-traditional students to fail. One of the most powerful things we heard recently, Joe interviewed Dr. Monty Randall on Joe's podcast. Dr. Randall is the president of the College of the Muscogee Nation, and he said, access without support is not opportunity. And I think that's true at work too. So if we hire people who live 50 miles away from our office and then make them commute five days a week, or if we hire somebody of a particular background or faith, but we don't allow them to take time off for important holidays or teach our HR team how to cater a lunch that these employees can actually eat, that's access without support. And that's not really opportunity. And so That's what's missing from diversity, equity, and inclusion today is a focus on belongingness, support, and respect.
2: Yeah, and I would say the common thread there, the belonging, if you take DEI and you look at the point of it and belonging becomes kind of an undergird to DEI, how do I belong, how do I fit in, do I feel this is the right place, it puts the onus on the institution. It puts the onus on the business. And so what may be missing, or at least what the common thread needs to be, is on the institution serving the student and on the business where the employee is working. How do you retain? How do you retain students within your institution and how do you retain employees in your business, knowing that people and students will leave more quickly than ever because there are a lot more choices, including online learning, knowing that we have something called the great reshuffling or great resignation that has been plaguing us the last few years where people are leaving their industries for something new, finding themselves in other ways, and not sticking with jobs for 20, 30 years like perhaps our mothers and fathers did many years back. So there is less loyalty, as it were. So belonging is one of those ways that you can promote a DEI policy and also retain your students and employees simultaneously.
1: I'm speaking with Kate Colbert and Dr. Joe Saluzio, authors of Commencement, the Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education. Why should companies pay for their employees' education?
2: Wow, what a great and important question. Why wouldn't they want to is really the question. You know, when we talk about retaining people in businesses and keeping them with you for multiple years, one of the best ways to develop your employees is to promote, and pay for their pursuits in higher education and learning, post-secondary learning in general, for a number of reasons. One of the biggest reasons is that organizations today get a certain amount of dollars that they can give to an employee, and that employee can use those benefits toward their education. That's important. It's important because the employee stays longer. If you're in a bachelor's degree or a master's degree as an employee, there's just a greater loyalty. To continue on with that employer until your degree is finished, by then you may be more established in your career and and willing to stay longer. It's also important for educating the general population. If all employers step up and contribute to their employees' future through post-secondary education, they create an ecosystem of educated individuals, and many of them come back around to the company that they once worked for in the past, and they're more educated at that point. So there's a lot of benefits. Uh, Employee retention is one of the biggest ones. But it satisfies retention, professional development, and I think general creativity and curiosity. You know, if we just go to work every single day doing the same things without elevating our learning, that's when people burn out and that's when they leave. So contributing to their higher education journey is an important way to keep them going and to keep them happy. And Kate, I know you have things to add.
3: Yeah, I would just add, I mean, Joe, I think really sort of nails this, but I would I would add that it's probably harder to find a person who fits the job description or that sort of what you're looking for on a resume for a specific job. It's harder to find that person, right? Are they that sort of purple unicorn out there that fits exactly what you're looking for than it is to train them. So if you hire people on, or you've got somebody who has half of the skills that you need for a position that you want to promote them into, why not... Take those people who have the right personalities and the right tenacity and the and the right commitment to teamwork and whatnot, and train them to do what you need them to do. Um, hiring is difficult and it's hard to find the perfect person, but you can hire somebody and then train for the exact skills that your company needs. It's kind of what we were doing several generations ago when folks were coming out of high school; they would get a job, and all of their sort of post-secondary education really was on-the-job training and We're starting to see a shift back to that, that companies, and we can train them as we go to make them be perfect for the positions that we need. And Joe's absolutely right. You know, when a company spends some of their own money to be able to train people and send them to college, and by the way, there is a certain amount of that every year that's a tax uh, write-off for those companies, it does create that kind of loyalty. I have my own experience. My second master's degree I was working on while I was working full-time at a university, as a marketer inside of a university, and I was working on an MBA at another institution. And my employer didn't provide me any support financially, nor did they provide me sort of flexibility for me to be able to do my studying and whatnot. And so two weeks before I graduated with that MBA, I resigned from that institution. And I went to another company that was really, really happy to have me and to support me. And interestingly, many of the chief leaders at the institution that I quit who didn't support me getting my MBA actually came to my graduation a week after I had resigned to say sort of congratulations and we're sorry to see you go. And so Joe's absolutely right. You know, invest in your employees and you will have loyal employees.
1: And what can college presidents teach us about leadership in the 21st century? Oh, gosh,
3: I'll give Mm -hmm. you a couple of insights and then I'm going to let Joe sort of wrap that because Joe has spoken to, I think now, you know, over 200 college and university presidents and anybody in a chief executive position really can teach us all about how to be better leaders. What I personally learned in exploring the insights from the presidents who were interviewed for our book commencement was a handful of things. I would say if I had to boil it down to five, one is that leaders must train and mentor and create more leaders, right? So it's it's not just about succession planning to know who's going to fill your role when you leave, but about looking around your organization and saying, who do I think has leadership chops and capabilities? And how can I teach them about what it's like and what keeps me up at night? And how can I really help support and mentor leaders who can follow not just in my footsteps for the position I have, but to lead anywhere in our organization? So I think that is a really key um, element that we learned from the leaders that we interviewed. We also learned that it's a leader's job to motivate and inspire. In fact, one of the presidents we talked to, President Scott Pulsifer at Western Governors University, said to us, my responsibility is to motivate and inspire the people at this institution to do great things and to be a positive influence for change in the future. And so that is such a key thing. I would say also vulnerability transparency empathy right so being human as a leader really breeds trust if you want to be able to do big things as a leader you need everyone to trust you and a great way to get them to trust you um, we were told by the leaders we interviewed is to be vulnerable to be transparent to say you don't know when you don't know to say you're sorry when you screw up to say are you okay when you see that something's going on with somebody and you want to be empathetic We asked people to actually, in our survey research for the book, we asked people to actually measure and tally skills that they thought were really, really important for leadership roles, for presidencies in specific. And really the top things that came up, number one was having an open mind to new functional structures and operating models. Are you willing to throw out the old stuff if it's not working and try something new? Do you have the courage to do that? That's what leaders need to be able to do. And in terms of sort of hard skills, and um, we asked people, what do you need to be able to understand or do if you're going to lead? They told us financial acumen, you sure as heck better understand the numbers, um, how we make money, how we lose money, and how it stays sort of in balance. And you better have great communication skills, because no matter what big ideas you have, if you can't communicate them effectively, you can't execute.
2: Yeah, and the piece I'd add, you know, a uh, pepper. From the book, we interviewed a group of higher ed leaders across industry. In addition to the interviews that I conducted on the EdUp Experience podcast that informed this book, but 62% of those leaders said that they consider themselves being very strong risk takers. So what I would add, in the 21st century, post-COVID, when we're exploring online learning in much more robust ways, really for any industry, how do we do business better and faster? And I think fast. Speed, in particular, is becoming an expectation within our daily lives. We won't accept a package that doesn't come same or next day. That is foreign to us now. When we can't watch a show, five shows in a row and and binge, we go on to something else. So there's an expectation of speed, and that is going to be one of the most important leadership qualities of the 21st century for leaders in any industry.
1: In 10 years, will higher education even matter when it comes to finding a job? I
2: believe it will. I believe it will. And I feel strongly about that. I think, as I said, things are cyclical. And right now, one of the the most popular ways for people to attain skills is through stacking. through skill stacking, the 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 skills economy, certifications, credentials, adding those through non-credit providers. Uh, An example of a non-credit provider would be Google and their certificate in cloud computing or Amazon. providing these learning pathways for their employees. However, higher education is taking those certifications from Google and Amazon and many others and embedding them within existing curriculum to create a more high-powered degree that's more relevant in the workplace. And I think that is why, specifically that is why, the degree will still matter in 10 years. Now, what we take for education in 10 years may not be the same things that we take now. Cybersecurity is such a great example. 10 years ago, there was a whole lot less cybersecurity. Today, it's one of the most important career fields in the world, uh, considering uh, our US military and the and, and like. So, in 10 years from now, will the jobs and the degrees be the same? Probably not. Will higher education be as important as it is? In my opinion, the answer is
3: yes. Yeah, I have very little to add to that. I think Joe's 100% right. I happen to have consulted throughout my career for a variety of industries, including higher education. And when we had the opportunity to do the research for commencement and write this book and really start thinking about what the future of higher education looks like, we saw so much evidence that while higher education is going through really big evolutions and revolutions and some painful changes, um, including things like closures of some small colleges that are just not making it colleges and universities are really beginning to innovate and do amazing things and serve learners of all kinds in different ways that really net in real measurable results. And I have decided to go all in on higher education as the one industry that I work in and serve going forward. I know that a college education, whatever that looks like and whatever that means, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I think it's going to matter even more.
1: And along those lines, how are institutions of higher learning changing what it means to, quote, unquote, go to college? That's an important
2: question and one that you just don't have to look very far to answer. You know, how we imagine college, Most, let's say the general public imagines college when you hear somebody say, I'm going to college, most of what we picture in our minds is the 18-year-old, you know, 17, 18-year-old coming out of high school, going to college, finding themselves a la Dead Poets Society and other movies that we've seen. <laughs> the reality is that the fastest growing segment of college goers is the adult student, the working learner, someone that has got kids at home, who's going back for a degree or another degree, who needs it for their job, but they're working full time. They've got to take their kids to jujitsu or to basketball or to hockey on the weekend. They're doing their homework at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And they're doing it on the weekend uh, while they're sitting at those basketball games. You've got to meet students where they are. And we're learning. We're learning from global economies, from other countries like the United Kingdom, who has a three-year bachelor's degree. You know, do we need all of the seek time that comes as a constant with going, quote unquote, to college. And Kate mentioned Western Governors University that are a very good example where they kind of speed up your amount of seat time by looking at the credit and learning you've already attained in your career, whether it was formal or informal. And I think that that's what it comes down to in the end is institutions are innovating to meet the student of the future, not stay where they are hoping that the student is going to go along with them because that's not what's going to happen. If you build it, the students will not come. You have to actively market to these students, give them a product and an experience that is relevant for our technology-advanced society that continues to get faster and faster and faster.
3: Yeah, I'll say one thing, and then I think it's just, you know, what Joe said is perfect. Redefining college is actually not something that colleges and universities are doing on their own. It's the students, the learners, for many, many years now, they have been trying to to help us understand that they want to redefine college. They are telling us, I want to be able to choose what I learn, how I learn, where I learn it, when I learn it. And I want to be able to make changes along the way. I don't want to have to be forced to take the summer off. I don't want to have to sit through lectures where I've already proven my competency in a particular skill. I want to be able to move faster if I'm able to do that. The students, the learners have been telling us for years, that the old model of college, the agrarian schedule, the you know, all these things, like Joe said, seat time, how much time do you put your butt in the seat? Those things are not that particularly relevant anymore. And students are telling us, I want something different and really savvy institutions that really care and put students at the center are starting to listen and starting to really think of students as customers and start realizing that the only way to run a business and colleges and universities are absolutely businesses is to put the customer first and give them what they need in a way that you know how to do very, very well. So college is being redefined first by the learner and we're in in higher ed a little bit laggard and figuring out how to do that. But we're finally figuring it out and the future is really bright for higher ed.
1: I've been speaking with Kate Colbert and Dr. Joe Saluzio, authors of Commencement, The Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education, Any last thoughts for us and how would you like us to get your book? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, thank you so much for having
3: us. This was a whole lot of fun. Um, As you can see, what's happening in higher education impacts everyone, whether you're thinking about going to school or you have a kid headed off to college or you're an employer trying to figure out how to hire the right people or train your people. Higher education impacts every part of a community and a society and an economy. And so we're really honored to be here chatting with your listeners and and with you about this. If you're interested in learning more, if you work in or around higher education, you may want to learn about our book. It's entitled Commencement, the Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education. You can learn more about it at commencementthebook.com. The book is sold everywhere books are sold and we welcome folks keeping in touch with us on LinkedIn, which is the easiest place to find me and Joe.
2: That's right. And if you're really interested in hearing more about interviews with college presidents, the foundation for this book is the Ed Up Experience podcast. And uh, thank you for your support. And thanks for having us.
1: Well, thank you for chatting with us today and really giving us some stuff to think about. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.